We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call them now. Leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out their website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question uh, regard uh, via their listener inquiry button as well. Good morning, Jeff. Good, Good to morning, see you. Scott. Good morning, Good morning. Scott. All right, so we're going to talk about incorporating. Why not? What's the advantages? What are the advantages? Whether we're going to talk about advantages and disadvantages. Okay. And corporations in Ontario have been for years have been an effective way for people to minimize tax or mm-hmm. reduce tax and also to simplify or for the continuation of your business. A corporation never dies. So yeah. if you want to pass on the corporation to the next generation or have that company exist well into the future for the next hundred years, it can exist. And so corporations in Ontario also have the advantages of a lower rate of taxation. So what I want to talk about then is sort of like the advantages of, of professional corporations and versus the costs and also the tax implications. And so a lot of professionals in, in, in Ontario uh, have passed legislation or pa- past regulations that will allow their members to incorporate. So an example might be a professional engineer or a dentist or a doctor or a financial planner. Does it matter else. how large or small the company is? No. No, and that that question though will have an impact in terms of does it make sense to do it mm-hmm. now or should I wait? Right. And that's that's going to be more along that line for sure. But when you incorporate as a dentist or a doctor or even as a financial planner, you uh, you cannot be exempt from liability if you harm somebody. Right. So you you're not going to be insulating yourself from lawsuits or mm-hmm. professional misconduct. You're still going to be subject to any of the regulations of your organization, mm-hmm. but so you're not protected by hiding behind a corporation. And that's important right. for the public because you know that, you know, if you have a wrongdoing by your doctor, your dentist, your financial planner, you have recourse against them, mm-hmm. not their mm-hmm. corporation. So, how does a corporation work? Well, a corporation is, for most of us who work for an organization or, as an, or work for an, or an employee, for an employer, we get a paycheck twice a month or, or every two weeks. And that relationship is that they've sort of hired us to do a job and they pay us for that job. Well, the same thing happens when you're a dentist or a doctor. You basically have a corporation that is the employer, and they're hiring you to do a job. Mm -hmm. So in this case, they're hiring you to look after teeth or Mm -hmm. hiring me to look after your financial planning. And so um, all of the earnings that a company makes, all of the earnings from that goes to the company first, and then the company pays the individual doctor, dentist, et cetera, Mm -hmm. lawyer that pays the individual a salary, Mm -hmm. okay? And so you become a shareholder of the company, and you can also include family members as shareholders of the company. You could include a trust or a a structure where the trust owns the corporation as well. And you're also going to be the director of and the officer of the corporation as well. So basically, it's an entity that you're controlling as the director of the business. So the corporation, as I said, pays you a salary for your services. And when there's money left over, so if you made $300,000 in your business and you only took a salary of 100000 
then you have money left over in the business. Yeah. You didn't need it. And that money builds up in your corporation each year. And that increases the value of your shares as the shareholder. So you have money inside this corporation and you've been receiving a salary each year along the way. That built up money that's in your corporation can be, will be paid out to you at some point in the future, uh, likely as a dividend. And a dividend in Ontario, we'll talk a little bit about how that's taxed or how you get other income from your business. But basically, people are either taking salary, mm-hmm. uh, dividends, or a combination of the two, right. salary or dividends. Mm-hmm. And so the big advantage is that when you leave that money in the corporation, it can build up. I'll give you an example. So if 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 you leave, let's say you know, $200,000 in the corporation. In Ontario, the first $500,000 that is earned by your corporation is taxed under the small business rate. Anything over 500000 is taxed at the normal business rate. Right. The small business rate in Ontario is 10.5% federal, hmm. plus about another 4.5% Ontario tax for a total of 15%. So on your 300000 you would you would pay roughly forty five thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a much lower tax yeah. rate than if you had paid yourself two hundred thousand dollars of salary. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that you've got more money sitting in your corporation because you've paid less tax. Mm-hmm. Now you will have to pay more tax on that later when you take it out, but in the meantime, you've got more money sitting there than you otherwise would have. Mm-hmm. And so that is where the key advantage comes into into play because. Um, as that money continues to build inside there, you had more to start with, so you can enhance or increase the value faster. Mm-hmm. And, and that means more money down the road for retirement, et cetera. Right. And Ontario's rate of tax has been pretty competitive, but actually when you look across Canada, we have the lowest tax rate jurisdiction is actually in what province? What would you guess? Quebec? Manitoba. Hmm. So Manitoba has the lowest small business tax rate at 10.5%. It's wow. pretty good. That's yeah. darn good. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't that a one-time Alberta? I think it may have been yeah. originally, yes. Yeah. And uh, now, what? who do you think has the highest tax rate? Quebec? Yes. <laughs> Always answer I, I, C. I just I was, on the, I was on the wrong end of the stick here. <laughs> highest, so, lowest, whatever. I, I had the right answer, just yeah. the wrong question. Quebec has <laughs> your the timing highest. Was, your timing was early. I know. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Quebec has the highest rate of small business tax at 18.5%. So, uh, so we're doing all right in Ontario. Now, on the other hand, let's say you need the money from your business to be able to live and maintain your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You've got kids that are expensive. You've got a <clears throat> club memberships. You've got a lifestyle that, including travel and running vehicles, etc. And all of that is means that you need the money to live on, mm-hmm. and you're taking all the money out of your corporation, and you're really not leaving anything behind, right. then the advantage is pretty much gone. There may be some other opportunities, we'll talk about that in a second, but generally, the rule of thumb is if you need all your money, yeah. the corp, a small a corp incorporating is not a great idea. Right, but right. if you can take some you of the money access, and yeah. leave behind money, right. then the corporation begins to, should be on your radar in terms mm-hmm. of a strategy, for sure. So... Eventually, though, that money that is left in the corporation is going to be paid out as a dividend to you, and it's taxed as what we call a non-eligible dividend. And so I just want to 
touch on that briefly. When you own shares of a company, so let's say you bought shares of Investors Group, Mm -hmm. and Investors Group pays you a dividend. Because it's a public corporation, that is what's called a qualified dividend, and it has a lower rate of tax. A non-qualified dividend or non-eligible dividend, which is paid from your personal corporation, is taxed at a higher rate. And the whole reason behind the distinction is the CRA, and it's quite a magical formula, really, in terms of how they've done Aren't this. Aren't they all? <laughs> <laughs> it's a mysterious magical yes. formula. But the purpose is, is that they're trying to create, there's no incentive to you as to whether you should receive salary from right. your business or whether you receive dividends from your business. At the end of the day, you should end up with roughly about the same in your pocket. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the purpose of the difference between eligible and non-eligible, uh, non-eligible things. The other, fu- the other things we talk about too, um, in terms of corporation, does it make sense, et cetera, is you know, are you going to be, there's, you have to be careful because you could be considered what's called an independent contractor. And an independent contractor means that really, in essence, let's say, for example, you decided to create Scott Thompson Entertainment Inc. Mm -hmm. And under Scott Thompson Entertainment Inc., you decided to bill this radio station for your services Mm -hmm. and have your pay go into Scott Thompson Entertainment Inc., well, CRA might look at that and go, wait a minute, you only work for one company. Yeah. You don't have any other contracts that exist where you're creating other streams of income. So we're going to deny this corporation structure and we're going to consider you to be an employee, an employee yeah. of the radio station. Right. So, so in other words, that prevents everybody and anybody's yeah. uncle could incorporate and say, you know, I'm working for, you know, U.S. Steel and I'm going to. Save take tax, my, yeah. I'm going to take save tax because I'm not going to take all my income. So there goes that loophole, Scott. Yep. Oh, I've tried that one. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this a long time, Don. I know. <laughs> <laughs> now, there are other advantages as well to incorporating. And um, uh, one is, a key one is what we call dividend sprinkling. And in the structure, what you're when you're creating your corporation, you want to include family members your family members as part of the corporate structure. So they may be individual, they'll be shareholders as well. Why do you want to do that? Well, you want to do that because remember we've got money sitting in this right. corporation and if we want money to come out of the corporation, it's going to be paid as a dividend and dividends can only be paid to shareholders. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it would have to be salary. Right. If you were to pay your son or daughter a salary, you have to be able to justify the work they did. How many hours did they put in? What did they actually do? What was their job description? And did you pay them a a reasonable wage relative to what you would pay a third, a Mm -hmm. a non-arms length person? Uh, And so by having your family members as shareholders, then you can sprinkle dividends. So you've got money in the corporation, you could pay your son or daughter $10,000 dividend. And they would not have to claim that as salary, it would be paid as dividend, and they would pay very little, If yeah. they'd pay zero tax on that amount of money. And you don't have to justify how what work they did how to they earn that, because yeah. they're simply a shareholder mm-hmm. of the business. Um, there were rules put into place a while ago called for anti-avoidance rules for anybody under the age of 18. If you do pay a dividend to a child under the age of 18, you will be taxed at the highest rate. So generally, 
this is always going to be available. It should only really be used for children 18 right. years of age or older. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you do get liability protection for business contracts, for example. Um, you do not get uh, protection under personal liability or negligence. We talked about that. You can use the corporation, the money in the corporation to pay insurance premiums. So this is an effective way to make sure you've put protection in place for yourself in terms of disability, uh, life insurance, Mm -hmm. etc. You can create an individual pension plan with with the corporation and this allows you to put in an enhanced or increased amount sheltered into RSP like structure. You can allow the investments to continue to grow on a tax-deferred basis, the money left behind in the corporation. And finally, just quickly, the disadvantages, there's costs to set it up, and it's probably about three to $10,000 to set up your corporation. You have to do an annual tax return for the corporate uh, and corporate resolutions. Those are about $1,500 to $3,000 a year. You have to change all of your stationery and contact information to represent the corporation. And finally, you have to apply for new CRA numbers, GST numbers, source deduction numbers, et cetera. And you might need to hire a payroll person just to look (laughs) after some of that as well. Uh, When you do things like this, would this set up a red flag for the people at the CRA? No. Like, why is he doing this? Do they need to be doing this? Are they using this as a As long you, you're going to have paid that cost. That's part of the cost. The three right. to $10,000 set it up is that your, your professional accountant and your lawyer will have justified the structure of your right. corporation to CRA. So there won't be any issues. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can go to the website, andyanddon.com, ask a question there, listen to old archive shows, or call now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. We're talking about incorporating. Yes, and uh, it's, you know, it wasn't just a couple weeks ago that uh, our finance minister, Bill Marneau, was I, basically they're trying to turn over almost any rock right now, okay? Yeah. Finding some more revenue, or maybe if there's a way that they could get some more tax revenue, um, possibly thinking it's not fair. Has anyone renewed their license lately? No. No. I went to, because my birthday was in May, I go to the license thing to get my tag, and the lady tells me $120, and I'm thinking, is that for two years? Yeah, I was going to say it's two right. years. Right? No, that's for one year. It jumped that much in is one that single year. Double? It, it it is. I believe it was like 80, oh 80 or ninety. I think it was eighty before. Yeah, and and I think in the last couple of years it's really jumped up, but to about eighty five or so. But yeah, now it's one twenty. Hey. I thought I was getting two years. They didn't even ask me for the option for two years. Speaking of inflation, I don't know if you parked downtown Hamilton on Main Street. The the, the cost per hour went up by fifty percent. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Anyway. Trying to collect, and again, um, and the corporations. The, you know, there's this rumor that they're they're now looking over this again. So those that are looking at incorporating, you might want to not throw ten grand into doing all this work right now right. until perhaps see how this year kind of goes through. Um, they're also looking at capital gains right now too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, we go way back, and at one time, if you had a capital gain, seventy-five percent of the capital gain was taxable. And then uh, conservatives got back in, and then they lowered to 66, and then back to 50% taxable, as it has been for years. But there is that rumor again, um, capital gains. And I know just before the last, uh, um, last whatever that... Uh, the budget. The budget. That's what yeah. I'm looking for. The last budget, they were looking for, uh, there's some concern that they may raise the capital gains then too. 
and people were thinking, should we sell now before the budget? Yeah. So you never know. Um, any government can change the rules. So there is that kind of buyer beware if you're looking at incorporating. But, you know, as it stands now for people that, as Andy mentioned, leaving money in the corporation or dividend sprinkling to both your kids, because a lot of the, even adult kids, mm. they're not making perhaps great incomes when they're right out of university. Yeah. And they can probably get their incomes up to $100,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And it still works out very good income splitting. Um, at the same token, there's those costs do add up. So mm-hmm. the cost of incorporating, the cost of having a, uh, the, a, a new tax return, you're probably looking somewhere three to $4,000 a year mm-hmm. and, and more bookkeeping as Andy mentioned. So you got to make sure that the efforts that you're going through yeah. are, are justified. So it, it's certainly a worthwhile conversation with your financial planner to look at the pros and cons. Uh, most people are looking at the pros mm-hmm. and they sound all good. It's kind of like, you know, buying that timeshare, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. They're all great until you say, wow, um, I really don't want it anymore. How, how do, do I, I get, get rid out? of this thing? Yeah, how do I get out? <laughs> and that's the other part. Unwinding the corporation isn't exactly cheap either. Hmm. Um, one word of advice I would suggest, regardless what your accountant says, for a majority of people, I would go with a December 31st year end. To going right. on a staggered yes. year end, um, they're, they're talking that you can defer your tax a bit more. It really isn't worth the effort. To try to get all your slips that do have a December 31st year end, and then change the, that 12-month period, it is way more hassle than it's worth. I would definitely go with the December 31st year end. Mm-hmm. So there's my two cents worth uh, right. on the corporation. <laughs> now, there's a, a commercial that's out that's been out for probably, I don't know, maybe six months now, and very effective. Um, I actually, when I listened, said, wow, it's a, it's a good commercial. And it's done by Quest Trade. And they're talking about, you know, they're interviewing with their financial planner, and the lady's basically saying, you know, I've, with compound interest, your two plus percent fees on our mutual funds, that takes away 30% of our retirement. And the guy says, well, that math doesn't seem to make sense. And the lady then comes back, says, you're right, it doesn't. And uh, then there's a big yeah, pause. I don't yeah, know if you've yeah, seen that yeah, commercial, yeah, yeah. very effective. And I thought, wow, I'd like to find out a bit more of this myself. So I actually went through the Quest Trade website and tried to figure out, okay, exactly what are their fees Mm -hmm. and what are they trying to get so first thing is they look at theirs and it it says it's very transparent Mm -hmm. and they talk about their fees are going as high as um about 0.7 percent but right on the website they say not including the etf fee and while the etf fee is about 0.8 percent depending on how much money you have with them Mm -hmm. so now you're up to about one and a half percent so there might be about a 1% difference. So the, right off the bat, you're saying, okay, when you're listening to the commercial, you think, well, they're charging fees and mutual funds, but we're not. Yeah. Because they don't even talk about any costs that they're doing. They just simply say, well, you've, there goes 30% of our retirement and yeah. fees. Yeah. And then just silence. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and the silence is deadly. So it, it, does, uh, it does make your imagination go. And you know what? If it is too good to be true, it usually is kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So... I kind of looked through it a little bit further and they talked about, well, what, what are the other fees? Are there any other fees involved? Well, they said, well, we have a short list of administrative fees. I said, okay, well, what's the short list? Well, they do do electronic trades free. So mm-hmm. if you want to have money go to your bank, it's free. But if you do want to have, say, a certified check, that's $75. If you want to stop payment on anything, it's $25. A transfer to another institution is $150. 
and a partial transfer to another institution is 25. And then you look at, okay, what about the RSPs? Well, if you, you can, there's no account fee per year, so that's good. So there's some uh, brokerage companies that would car charge an annual account fee. But if you do want to take any money out of your RSP, it's $50. It's a partial deregistration. And that's an interesting one because I'm doing that for a lot of our clients. No, Andy and I have been talking about that, trying to get people's incomes up um, and not saving all their RSPs for the estate mm -hmm. um, and then possibly paying 53.5%. Right. So, but every time you do this, it's another $50 to have a withdrawal. Um, if you do a lifelong learning, it's $25. And then mailing. Well, as long as you get it done you know, electronically, there's no problem. But if you just use regular mail, it's $10 per statement. Mm -hmm. So every, if you get it quarterly, it'd be another 40, you know, $40 a year if you have one statement a year. And then there's a se section called other. Your state transfer, when it's finally, you, you know, if you happen to pass away, goes to your kids, it's $200 to transfer to your kids. Mm -hmm. um, document retrievals, $20 per document. So if you missed a statement, you want it back, it's $20. Um, this is the one I always find. We get a lot of clients that say, you know what, I'm missing my tax slip. Okay. <laughs> I know you, you're not one of them, Scott. You're I know perfect. it's around here somewhere. <laughs> I just can't find it. It's 20 bucks a slip. Yeah. I couldn't imagine if we told our clients, said, yes, oh, you know, all those slips, yeah, there's about eight of them. Yeah, we'll send them to you. That'll be, that'll be $160. Mm. Okay. And so you start ending. You'd make a fortune off my wife. <laughs> Oops, I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? Or she'd stop losing them. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> well, the interesting part about this, Whole thing. It kind of reminds me of those uh, really low-cost airlines. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the fare fare is showing. And I, w I went to for our 30th anniversary. Went to Iceland. Mm -hmm. And there's Icelandic Air, and then there's this other carrier called Wow. And first of all, wow. I didn't like the I didn't, <laughs> I didn't like the name. I don't know if I want to be getting on a plane that says "Wow" down the side. Yeah, I, Wow, dude. How was your? We made it. How was wow. your? How was your flight? Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I would rather have. I'd rather go on boring airlines. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, non-eventful airlines. airlines. <laughs> exactly, non-eventful airlines. <laughs> Not wow. I don't yeah. want excitement in no, my. No. So, so when the thing is, is when my wife was looking at the air cost difference, I said, "Wow, <laughs> there's a big difference here." But again, when I started peeling back the onions, so to speak, and looked at all the fees. Well, the first bag costs this much. The second bag costs this much. If you wanted to have basically any leg room, it costs you more. Uh, I had no How idea. about a parachute to get out of yeah, your destination? No <laughs> I had no idea. Optional. Yeah. The comfort. Um, there certainly weren't any snacks. It was, it was bare bones. Yeah, yeah. And I know my colleague went, there's this one out of Niagara Falls. He went on a golf trip. And he said, well, we got this great flight. Well, then he, he said, well, the golf bag is carry-on and a knapsack. Well, if you have a knapsack and a carry-on, it was like 20 bucks for the knapsack and yeah. another 40 bucks for the other carry-on and 100 bucks for the for the uh, golf clubs. clubs yeah. And next thing you know is the flight wasn't a deal. Yeah. And we found the same. But with, the service was bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got what you expected on the service side. Yeah. And the same with Iceland. When, when, when we boiled it all down, there was virtually no difference. Yet, who knows... The service level and Icelandic mm -hmm. Air was fantastic. That's mm -hmm. all I know. I don't know what Wow was like. Yeah. Okay, I haven't really gone into that. You couldn't hear them. <laughs> the next plane over. <laughs> yeah, they were arriving at the airport at the same time, and their hair was really ruffled, and <laughs> and they were like white. <laughs> oh man! So, so when you start adding up all these fees, that adds to the the MER, the mutual fund expense ratio. 
because inevitably, I know it's just nickel and diming, but nickel and diming adds up too. Mm-hmm. These are all things that Andy and I do not charge, just to be sure. We're full service. You get these things as part of the deal. You don't overbook, do you? Uh, no, no, <laughs> no. Just in case somebody doesn't show up, we have another one waiting. No. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah, and the other Your one has to go home. over, yeah. <laughs> um, and the other one was quite interesting. They started looking at, well, what returns did they put on their website? And their conservative portfolio with 80% fixed income, they put in 5.32%. Nice. I said, wow, <laughs> with the fixed income, we're earning about 2% right now and the other 20% was equities, that's pretty aggressive. Well, then I kept going through it and an income portfolio did 6.8, balance portfolios 7.8, growth portfolios, which were 80% equities, 20% fixed income, did 9.12, and aggressive growth, 100% equities, which was one-third Canada, one-third US, one-third international, they forecasted at 12.04%. I have no idea where they got these numbers from. We went through, I'm looking at, what the investments have done since 1935 in any era, and the best performing one was U.S. stocks, if you had 100% in U.S. stocks since 1935, and you would have got 11.3%, okay? There was no nothing that did 12. Mm. And so then I said, well, how have these performed? Well, I gotta say, you've also looked at the last five years have been phenomenal five years, mm-hmm. okay? We've gone through the 08, 09, crisis, the Great Recession, so to speak. Then you got a couple bumpy years. And then the last five years have been extremely good. And in spite of that, the conservative portfolio did 3.8, not 5.32. Their balance and growth was 6 versus 6.8. wasn't bad. But uh, I'll go right to the end here. Their global equities did uh, 10.45 versus 12.04. 10.45, trust me, is a great return. Ours did very similar. We're, we're over 10% if we're 100% equities too. So there was, it, that was the other part is this commercial never looks at what others' performances. They just assume that since you're paying 2%, you're getting 2% less yeah. or 2.5% less. Mm-hmm. Well, then they don't talk about their own fees. I said, well, let's take the gloves off here. If we're going to talk about our fees, let's talk about yours. So what I then looked at is let's say that all in, they're 1.5%. That is a very inexpensive platform, no question. If you were 100% equities with us, international everything, for a small client, a client under 500,000, okay, it would be around 2.5%. Maybe a bit less, but just for argument's sake, we'll call it 2.5%. So there's a 1% difference. But what's interesting is when they're talking indexes, an index fund can never beat the index. It can't because mm. they're charging a fee. Yeah. So if it's getting 10% and an index fee to run the fund was half a percent, well, now you're getting 9.5. Yeah. And they're charging 0.7. So now you're down to 8.8. So you have to, it will never outperform the index. So it's kind of interesting. They always talk about, well, mutual funds, most of the mutual funds do not outperform the index. I said, well, yeah, well, that's fine. But index funds 100% of the time don't perform, outperform the index. Mm-hmm. They can't because it's the index less whatever yeah. you're paying. So I, I, I went through the math here to see if it, the math makes sense, so to speak, as, as she said. And I, let's take $100,000. And if they invested at 9%, say equity funds were really good, did 9%, after their MER, you got seven and a half. 25 years later, you had 610000 Okay. With their assumptions, 
ours would be 2.5%, 1% more fees than theirs. And after, we would end up averaging only 6.5. And after it was all said and done, $483,000. So they would have had 610, we had 483. And that's about a 20% less performance. Mm-hmm. And this kind of goes in line with what their commercial saying. But the assumption here is that our managers aren't adding any value at all. Hmm. They're not doing anything. They're simply buying the index, yeah. which they're not. They're, and this is what they call alpha. What's the manager doing? And when clients say, well, your mutual fund didn't outperform the index, well, that's fine. It may have still been half percent below the index, but it certainly wasn't two and a half percent below the index. Right. Okay, so they are doing their job. This is active investing. That's what they get paid for. So if the manager adds 2% value to what he does, and he still underperforms the index by half percent, well, now you're actually outperforming their funds by 1%. And it's interesting. Now, if you still have that same money, at the end of the day, we end up with 768000 which is 26% more than what they're forecasting. So if our managers do not outperform the index and still underperform by half percent, we're still doing 26% better than they are after 25 years in mm. this example. And so I, then I looked at, well, what have our actually... What have we done? And I started looking at what our performance has been. And I took a look at, we have a balance fund. And our balance fund the last five years was 7.88%. Theirs was 7.56. We actually outperformed them with higher fees over the exact same period of time. Mm -hmm. Then I looked at our aggressive growth. Theirs did 10.45, ours did 10.14. So did not outperform them. We were down 0.3% difference. So at the end of the day, it is not a straight e- extrapolation. You just cannot add fees and subtract fees. Our managers are doing a job. They're trying to get a, some performance. Otherwise, they're going to be fired. Yeah. If they simply get the index less the MER, they will not have a job. I can tell you that right now. On top of that, it was interesting. As of December 31st of last year, it was just out today. Uh, sorry, two days ago. Um, they took a look at Canadian investors, and it turns out that the average Canadian investor got 7.33% over the last five years versus the actual funds that did 8.42%. So they got they basically lost a percent. And the reason was, is because of their behavior. And part of Andy and I's job is to manage behavior, making sure you stick it out during those tough times too. And that's the behavior section, which will add a percent to a person's return. So at the end of the day, you get a lot of advice, you get tax advice, estate advice, investment advice, cash flow management, insurance advice, and you got somebody to talk to. And at the end of the day, I would suggest we're going to get very similar performance and get a lot of services for free. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can ask a question there via the listener inquiry button or check out old archive shows. You can also call and leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. Talking about CPP here. Yeah, I know earlier in the show we were talking about incorporation and, and, and business owners are going to be facing some changes with respect to Canada Pension Plan starting in 2019. We could probably spend a whole show on Canada Pension Plan oh, in terms of the nuances yes. of Canada Pension Plan. Um, 
I'll tell you right now, out of the gate, we're, there's a, we're definitely leaning towards, if we can help people understand their Canada Pension Plan better, that there's typically an advantage to deferring your Canada Pension Plan. But we're going to save that for another another day. I just want to talk about um, a little bit about the changes coming to Canada Pension Plan, what that means to business owners, what that means to yourself individually. And so we know that in 2019, the new rules, January 1st, 2019, the new CPP rules will come into play. So we're about a year and a half out from those changes and the amendments that will allow retired Canadians to get higher CPP benefits than they do now. And so currently, Canada Pension Plan is really designed to produce about 25% of a worker's average adjusted earnings. Average adjusted earnings uh, are a calculation that's used every year. In 2017, the what we call the YMPE or average adjusted earnings is about 53,500. That's the that's the maximum at the top. So they want 25% of that is really what they're trying to provide from Canada pension plan and we know that we've decided the government decided that's not enough. Mm-hmm. We we need to fill the gap here because incomes have risen and the base line hasn't. So that's going to increase from 25% of your average income to 33% of your average income. So you're going to get a lot more Canada pension plan. Yeah. Well, that's good. So it just happens automatically. <clears throat> well, pretty much. Yeah. You don't have to do anything about it. <laughs> yep. No, no, no requirement. No, you don't have to do a thing. Right. Oh, nice. Just keep working. Right. Um, so there's two types of the contributions that are going to increase and they're going to be phased in. It's your personal contribution and your employer's oh, contribution. So the employee and employer. Part. Yeah. <laughs> I knew there was something. Starting in 2019 and ending in 2023. So for five years, there'll be a phased in increase of 1%. 1% increase to the amount you contribute. Right. So it's going to be 0.2%, 0.2%, 0.2% for five years. Right. We'll get you... Uh, the increased, and currently we contribute 4.95%, let's call it 5% for for mm-hmm. sake of argument, and that's going to increase to 6%. Uh, employees will have to contribute 6% by mm-hmm. 2023. And so that's, again, based on earnings from $3,500 up to the YMPE, that year's maximum pensionable earnings, which we know today is 53500 So from 3500 to 55300 you're contributing 4.5% right now. It's going to increase by 0.2% a year, which is about 10 bucks a year starting January 1st, 2019. And by the time that fully phases in, it'll be 50 bucks a month more going to Canada Pension Plan from your paychecks. That's on the first $53,500 of income. Now, starting in 2024, there will be an increase in the maximum amount of earnings that are subject to Canada Pension Plan. So it's going to pop up from 53,000, sorry, 55,300. It'll go up by 7% in 2024 and then another 7% in 2025. So 14% increase in two years for a total of 14%. And employees and employers are going to contribute an additional 4%. So remember, on the from thirty five hundred to fifty five thousand, we're yeah. going to be paying six percent, and then we're going to pay another four percent of the earnings from fifty five thousand up to this new threshold, which is coming in at around eighty two thousand dollars in twenty twenty five. So, um, you will have to contribute uh, three thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars a year on your 
regular income from your regular income up to the base amount, fifty-five thousand, mm-hmm. and then you'll contribute another nine hundred, almost a thousand dollars a year on the amount from uh, that up to eighty-two thousand. So a total of about forty-seven hundred dollars, or about four hundred, almost forty hundred bucks, about four hundred bucks a month will be your total contribution, and your employer is going to be matching that. So <clears throat> if you're the owner of a business, you kind of need to prepare for this as well because you're going to need to conduct some detailed projections to estimate how much more you're going to be from a payroll perspective, how much more the additional costs are going to be during the phase-in period for the next for five years, and then in the future once everything is phased in completely. And maybe you need to change your benefit formula. So, you know, there's more money going towards CPP and less going to their actual paycheck, right? right. Or their take-home pay. Now, I probably will, the other thing that people are going to have to reflect on in terms of their business is, do we keep our group RSP? Do we keep our, our pension plan that we have at work? And I would argue that you probably still want to keep those because those are typically key pieces of the employment puzzle when it comes to retaining employees. Mm -hmm. It's one of those incentives that employees like, and by keeping it in place, you're sure to hang on to your employees longer. Mm -hmm. So despite having to put more into Canada Pension Plan for your employees, you probably should keep going with your group RSPs and your your pension plan as well. the other thing is that uh, if you're an employee, those changes which start in January 2019 mean your take-home pay is going to drop, and it's going to drop each year by a little bit as mm-hmm. more and more is going to Canada Pension Plan. And finally, I guess the last thing would be in terms of business owners with CPP deductions changing each year for the next five years, uh, and then if phasing in of the next level of contribution as well it's going to get even more and more difficult for small businesses to handle payroll. Mm-hmm. So I can see a real flux of people needing payroll services yeah. to really help them through this for mm-hmm. the next five years. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc., 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can check out their website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can ask a question there via the listener inquiry button. Also, listen to old archived shows. And if you want to call them now, you can leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're talking about CPP. Yes, and I know Andy's gone through a lot of the details, but a couple of them here is moving that threshold to 82700 by the year 2025. That means when your income hits that, after that, you're not contributing to CPP anymore. Mm-hmm. So I know when I'm speaking mm-hmm. with my clients, you know, he says, well, what you, how much you take home per month? He says, well, until the CPP drops off, mm-hmm. I, pay, I get this much. And then they, and let's say they make a hundred grand a year. Then about July, then I start making a lot more. <laughs> and though, so it's, it's like this big raise. Yeah. Well, if you're making a hundred grand a year, and now it's at eighty-two thousand seven hundred, basically halfway through October, you're paying a high percentage of your pay yeah. into CPP. Mm-hmm. And the, the, and again, it's, it's just very, it's somewhat socialist, no problem. And, and it is kind of the feeling. What do you that, mean, no problem? Well, I might those, debate you on that one. For those that want that, it, this is actually, this <laughs> was right. in t- instead of the Ontario Pension Plan. Yeah. Wynn came out with this, spent how many millions 
Yeah, really. Literally yeah. on this and continued commercials even after yeah. it was out. <laughs> and then out comes everybody voted and I guess only two provinces say it exnate on it. And I guess it was pretty much saying, okay, we will cha- make this change on the CPP with Ontario being the driver of this. So I guess it, you know, given the two, I'd rather have an increased CPP than a separate Ontario pension plan. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It, it would just be way too confusing. But for those people that are contributing to this, you got to look at, okay, we're not going to benefit from this for quite a, a whole generation. Mm-hmm. The ones that are getting this moving of 33% of their pre-retirement income are the ones that are just starting the workforce right now. Mm-hmm. Not the ones that are now 45 or 50 mm-hmm. that contribute for 10 years. They will get a somewhat of an increase. But this is going to make the the formula that much more creative, so to speak. If you're self-employed, and Andy talked about corporations earlier, do you pay yourself 100% dividends now and not take a salary so that you don't contribute to CPP anymore? And there was already that kind of rule, it's kind of a rule of thumb that you had seven dropout years. So if you maxed out every year and you got to age 58, from the time 58 to 65, there's no increase in your Canada pension plan. Mm-hmm. You're adding to it and you're getting zero increase. Yeah. Well, now you got to look at these changes. Well, even though I'm say 55 now, should I still contribute to CPP? Is it that beneficial? Because now as a self-employed person, you're not only playing, you're the employee, so you're paying that side. And as the employer, right. you're paying the other side. Right. So you're putting all this money in. What is the return? Now, the return was pretty low before as a, a self-employed. It was actually a little less than 3%. Not terrible, okay, GIC rates, so to speak, and at least it guaranteed this index pension. Okay, so I'm, I'm, it's nice to have that baseline. I'm, you know, you got your OAS if, you, if your income's under 75,000 a year, you got your CPP, and then you get your RSPs or whatever you save after that. At least you have it, but now you gotta think, okay, my dollars are gonna go to this Canada pension plan. Yeah. What's my return after these changes? That answer I don't have yet. I suspect it's going to be under the three, particularly for the older people that are near retirement because they're not going to get the benefit of the ones that have been in the plan for the last 40 years. Yeah. Yet they're still contributing like crazy yeah. right now. So the calculations on, on as a self-employed person, you might want to, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of uh, workshops on this. I'm certainly going to be working through the numbers. But for those that can pay themselves dividends versus salary, I was always for making sure you maximize your CPP before. Mm-hmm. And I know um, uh, some accountants would say, no, 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 you know, minimize tax and pay all dividends. But that, that didn't allow you to put money in RSPs because you had dividend income, not salary income, and it doesn't count as earned income. And, and therefore, and also you didn't allow you to put money in, in Canada Pension Plan. So you kind of had two layers of your retirement wiped out because of just paying yourself dividends. It might've saved you some tax, but people are people and they have a way of messing up financial things. So, mm. you know, at the end of the day, it's nice to have that cushion. And this, with these changes, we're really gonna sharpen our pencil and figure out what we should do. Now, for those currently over 60, or 60, and I just had this, uh, this uh, talk actually just uh, two days ago, <clears throat> and this person is turning 67 um, this coming summer. And he's still working. And there's a lot of people in this boat that are still working. Should you start collecting your CPP? Now, his dad just turned 92, okay? Wow. And that was the kind of the answer. Yeah. He, if he follows his dad's genes, the break-even point was uh, about 82 uh, if, he, if he starts collecting at age 
at age uh, 77, uh, sorry, 67. So if he's got his dad's genes and lives to 92 and his dad's, hey, who's to say he's not going to live to 100? He's still looking really good. I saw him run up the stairs while we had this meeting, so he's still doing great. But it is truly a, a number. To, you should know your break-even point. And those that are working, you also have to pay tax on the CPP income. Mm-hmm. So the break-even point actually goes back down even further because you're paying a high percentage to income tax. So that CPP question is not an easy one. You should really sit down with a financial planner and ask where their break-even point is and take into account taxes and look at the longevity of, of you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, your health risks. And possibly, you also should be looking at your spouse. If your spouse isn't working or did work all the way through, her survivor benefit or his or her survivor benefit, rather, would be far greater if they didn't work. But if they're both working, the surviving spouse would probably get very little, if any, survivor benefit. So there's so many moving parts in CPP. Anybody that simply says, well, you should take it at 60, I think they are selling it short and really need to sit down with a financial planner. Every situation is different. It's so different. You're absolutely absolutely right, Scott. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can check out their website, andyanddon.com. Ask questions via the listener inquiry button. As well, check out old, uh, old archived shows. And you can call now and leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. Thank you, Scott. You too. Thanks,